Radio Prague International, the external service of Czech Radio News. An exhibition of Bohemian Crown jewels is being extended. French authorities are still investigating André Babish, and the top Czech court has ruled in favour of a German man shot trying to cross the Iron Curtain. Due to huge public interest, Prague Castle has extended an exhibition of the Bohemian Crown Jewels at St. Vitus Cathedral until next Tuesday. The exhibition was originally meant to end on Saturday. Since its opening on Tuesday, the exhibition has been viewed by an average of 4,300 people every day. The decision to display the jewels was made by President Miloš Zeman on the occasion of the 30th anniversary of the founding of Czechia. French authorities are still investigating presidential candidate and ex-Prime Minister André Babiš on suspicion of money laundering and tax evasion, the Daily Hospodarske Noviny reported on Thursday. France's National Financial Prosecutor's Office is investigating the circumstances under which Mr Babiš acquired a villa in the south of France through a chain of offshore companies based in Monaco and the British Virgin Islands. Mr. Babish has repeatedly described the investigation as nonsense and says the transaction was legal. Anos Alana Shilerova says party leader Andrei Babish didn't take part in a vote and a no-confidence vote tabled by the party because he has a virus. A lower house debate on the matter ended late on Wednesday night with victory for the government of Petrofiala, who have a solid majority. Ms. Shilerova also said that Mr. Babish had been resting in view of his demanding campaign for the presidency. He and Petr Pavel will go into a second round vote to decide the next head of state at the end of next week. And the two rivals faced off on Thursday in the second in a series of debates before next week's second round runoff. In a discussion hosted by news outlet Blesk, the two candidates discussed such areas as the war in Ukraine and assertions made during campaigning. Mr. Babish defended billboards in which he seemed to imply Mr. Pavel could lead Czechs into war, while Mr. Pavel responded that the ex-PM should apologise to soldiers over the matter. The Anno chief denied any allegations that he was copying the smear tactics of incumbent Miloš Zeman, who five years ago tried to portray opponent Yishi Drahosh as welcoming refugees. Mr. Pavel asked how his opponent planned to hold consultations with cabinet members after indiscriminately slamming the government during his campaign. The Constitutional Court has ruled in favour of a German man who was shot in the knee by Czechoslovak guards in July 1989 while trying to cross the Iron Curtain. Thomas Barch received only 5,500 crowns from the Czech courts in compensation for lasting injuries stemming from the shooting. The courts have been ordered to look into awarding him appropriate compensation. The Constitutional Court ruled on Tuesday that he had suffered the injuries in extraordinary circumstances that justified higher compensation. In addition, he could not have known that communism would fall soon after, a judge said. And finally, a quick look at the weather forecast. It should be mainly overcast in Czechia on Friday with an average high temperature of minus one degree Celsius. Similar weather is expected on the following days. My name is Ian Willoughby.
Hello listeners and welcome to Radio Prague International. I'm Anna Fodor and this is what we've got coming up in today's program. First of all, we'll be looking at a topic that's close to all our hearts, Czech beer, the production of which is unfortunately being threatened by climate change. After that, we bring you a musician and a painter. And finally, we'll be taking you to one of the darkest and most haunting places in Czechia, a graveyard visited by Margaret Thatcher and said to be the burial place of the man who assassinated Archduke Franz Ferdinand. I'll say no more, but stick with us if you want to find out what on earth I'm talking about. Czechs are the world's most prolific beer drinkers and their various brews are highly sought after in markets across the globe. But a joint study conducted by universities in the UK, US and China suggests that the production of liquid bread, as the Czechs call their favourite drink, may in fact be under threat. Tom McEncroe reports. At the centre of the problem lie the effects of climate change on the growing of barley, beer's key ingredient, says Dabo Guan, a climate change economist at University College London, who is one of the lead researchers involved in the study. Crops that only grow somewhere sort of a relatively cold, and then it's in eastern European countries, in Canada, in Australia, in the Russia, mean producing areas there. So once the climate simulation tells you uh, in the future where they would have a possibility to have a heat stress, uh, we can see globally most of the Eastern European countries would suffer great loss of uh, body yield. The vulnerability of the crop is also a great concern to brewing companies. For them, climate change is a major economic risk, says Ivan Tuchnik, who is in charge of sustainability at Czechia's leading beer brand, Pilsner Okvo. What we see is increasing volatility, meaning that you have uh, a very good yield and then a very bad yield right after each other. For example, last year, we had probably the best yield of hops in history. This year will be among the worst. And this unpredictability in the relationship doesn't really work well, neither for the farmers nor for us as the brewers. To try and tackle this problem, Pilsner Oakwell has developed the Four Hops project, which uses precision agriculture to try and make yields more stable. In collaboration with Microsoft and other partners in the brewing industry, the project aims to develop software that will advise farmers on how to use the available resources more efficiently, says Pilsner Oakwell's sustainability lead. 80% of the hop growers in the SaaS region, which is like the most prominent hop growing region in the Czech Republic, do not have access to water. So the only option that's left there for them is to build a reservoir where they collect water throughout the year, which means that they have a finite amount of water, meaning they have to be very careful about when they use it. And that's the point where we come and where we want to help to uh, give them indication of what are the points in time throughout the year when the irrigation brings the biggest impact in terms of yield and quality. The predictions are based on data that is collected from six pilot farms across Czechia. Each is examined through a complex system of cameras, sensors and weather stations. The information that 4HOPS has gathered at these facilities points to drought and weather instability as the main causes of crop disruption, which is very much in line with the study's predictions. Adverse weather conditions are also making it harder for farmers to adhere to the strict requirements surrounding the cultivation of malting barley. Many of them therefore choose to focus on other crops instead, says Mr. Tuchnik. So that's why we are also now looking for the ways how we can support barley growers, because we see that over the past three decades, the overall area, the acreage where the malting barley is being grown in the Czech Republic, 
has shrinked to half, meaning that there is an increasing pressure on the availability of the barley which we need. In their study, Guan and the other researchers talk about how this decline in production could create tensions on the market and eventually lead to a considerable increase in beer prices. The academic says that this would be especially noticeable in countries where consumption is higher. The price for Czech Republic would increase about five times. I think right now it's about half euro per can. Then the price will increase to about three to four euros under extreme heat things. So that was seriously that people is compromised, you know, the drinking culture. And it's not just the price of beer that could become an issue, but the taste of it too. Many Czech and international brewers rely on the Sartz strain of hops that is specifically grown in the Žatec region of Bohemia. But the strain has proven difficult to replicate in different climactic conditions. The Bamberg Symphony, led by Czech conductor Jakub Hrusha, has received the International Classical Music Award for Best Symphonic Music for their 2020 CD, featuring compositions by Austrians Hans Rott, Gustav Mahler and Anton Bruckner. The album has already collected the German Record Critics Award. Ruth Frankova tells us more. Hans Roth, an Austrian composer and organist born in 1857, wrote only one symphony during his short life and was nearly forgotten after his death in 1884. While his symphony in E major has since been rediscovered and recorded several times, the one performed by the Bamberg Symphony is truly exceptional, according to the International Classical Music Awards jury. The Bamberg Symphony's interpretation is so convincing that we can say that no one else has advocated Roth's music as profoundly as the performers on this recording, the jury stated on its website. The album was initiated by Jakub Hrusha himself and was born out of his admiration for the music of Hans Roth, which he discovered somewhat by accident, as he told Czech Radio. When I was studying Anton Bruckner's music, which we performed with the Bamberg Symphony, I wanted to hear music composed by some of his pupils. So I searched the internet and came across Hans Horth, who was completely unknown to me until then. Bruckner described him as someone who would have a great future and defended him against criticism from conservative-minded contemporaries. Hans Roth, who approached the genre in a very novel way, did not receive recognition during his lifetime. After hearing his symphony, Johannes Brahms even told Roth that he had no talent whatsoever and that he should give up music. However, his teacher Anton Bruckner and contemporary Gustav Mahler, both of whose music is also featured on the award-winning album, recognized his exceptional talent, says Mr. Hrusha. When you listen to Hans Hort's music, you feel that it was copied from Mahler, whose music is really familiar, until you realize that it's the other way around, since it was actually written long before Mahler even started to compose symphonies. 
So Hans Hort created a composition that paved the way for further development of symphonic music, and especially for Mahler. His place in the music history is absolutely irreplaceable and unique. It is already the second International Classical Music Award for the Czech composer who has led the Bamberg Symphony since 2016. Last year he was awarded for his recording of Symphony No. 4 by Anton Bruckner. In 2025, Jakub Hrusha is set to take over as music director of the Royal Opera House. And we'll be staying in the arts and culture world for just a little while longer and we'll also be sticking with Ruth Frankova, who brings you this next instalment in our series on famous Czech painters. Jakub Schikanedr is considered one of the most important Czech painters of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, best known for his melancholic paintings of Prague in the evening and dusk. Schikanedr was born in Prague in 1855 to a family of a German customs office clerk. The family, which was very close to artistic circles, supported him in pursuing a career as a painter. After having completed his studies in Prague and Munich, Schikanedr became involved in a group of artists known as the Generation of the National Theatre, says Veronika Hulikova, director of 19th century art and classical modernism at Prague's National Gallery. He was a classmate of František Ženíšek, Václav Brožík and other artists. With his friend Emanuel Kresenec Liška, he also participated in the decoration of the National Theatre. However, his work is no longer there. After the theatre burned down, it was replaced by the work of Václav Brožík. Šikaneder was badly offended and harboured the hurt for his entire life. In his early work, Jakub Schikaneder devoted himself to realistic paintings whose main subjects were women, usually depicted in loneliness and poverty. This stage culminated with his largest surviving canvas called Murder in the House. The painting, which is over two meters high and almost three and a quarter meters wide, is on display in the permanent exhibition of the National Gallery in Prague's Trade Fair Palace. Schikaneder created this painting in 1890 for an exhibition in Berlin. At the time, he was still a young artist who was eager to make a name for himself in the world. He probably chose the format and the subject of his work in an attempt to attract attention to himself. At the end of the 19th century, exhibitions were installed in such a way that the paintings were close together, sometimes in several rows on top of each other. It was really important to catch the attention of visitors and art critics. Schikaneder succeeded in doing so. At the end of the 19th century, Jakub Schikaneder changed the focus of his paintings and began to depict Prague's alleys and hidden spots, usually in the evening and dusk. However, the female figure is still present in many of his paintings, says Veronika Hulíková. There is an interesting connection here with Schikaneder's life. He grew up in a family with artistic, theatrical roots. Many of his cousins and aunts were actresses, which was not an easy life in the second half of the 19th century. When women's careers ended, 
they often found themselves in poverty. For Jakub Schikaneder, it was not important whether the places he painted were captured exactly as they looked in real life. What was more important to him was the atmosphere and the impression the painting evoked. To achieve the mysterious and magical atmosphere so typical of his paintings, he developed a special technique, explains Veronika Hulíková. Schikaneder developed a unique technique of applying layers of color to a painting and gradually wiping them off again. Looking closely at the painting, we can see the individual brush strokes. By gradually wiping and applying new layers, he was able to achieve subtle transitions between the architecture and the sky. One of the most famous Prague cityscapes by Jakub Schikaneder is called Early Evening at Hračany, captured from a post near the first courtyard of Prague Castle. Today it can be seen in the permanent exhibition of the National Gallery at the Trade Fair Palace. Jakub Schikaneder, who died in 1924, achieved fame already during his lifetime. However, after the Second World War and the communist coup, his work didn't fit in with the regime's idea of what socialist art should look like. His popularity was partly restored by exhibitions organized by the National Gallery in the 1970s and 90s. Thanks to them, his paintings are sought after to this day. Moving on now to a little-known place in Prague that is nevertheless steeped in 20th-century history and creepy legends. Daniela Lazarova brings you today's feature. The Bohnica Falls graveyard is one of the darkest and most haunting places in Czechia, with a charged atmosphere heightened by the legends and rumours associated with it. The facts themselves are spooky enough. This is a graveyard where over 4,600 tortured souls were laid to rest. Mental patients from the Bohnice Psychiatric Hospital, including soldiers who lost their minds in the trenches of the First World War, murderers, people who committed suicide, and even children who were not given the last rites because nobody had called a priest in time. Thousands of mounds covered in ivy are a sea of anonymous resting places of people for whom no one cared, who needed to be hidden from the world. It is believed that among those buried here is Gavrilo Princip, the man who assassinated Archduke Ferdinand d'Est and thereby sparked World War I. The Fool's Graveyard was founded in 1906, three years after the opening of the Prague Bohnice Mental Hospital, then crudely named Institution for the Insane. The graveyard served until 1963, during which time over 4,600 patients were buried here. At the time, the Bohnice Institution for the Insane was the largest psychiatric hospital in Central Europe. By 1921, it had a capacity for 3,000 patients and a staff of 1,800. At the beginning of the 20th century, the Bohnice facility resembled a small village. Mentally disturbed patients worked in the fields and harvested fruit from the orchards. They had children. Some of the patients either came pregnant or became pregnant during the hospitalization. Originally, there was a small children's graveyard in the nearby forest. 
Over time, however, it was transformed into a classical graveyard and grew and grew. Patients made coffins for those who died, and about 80 patients were buried each year. In 1916 alone, 640 patients died in the typhus epidemic and were buried in the graveyard. The graves were numbered with iron plates and the names of the diseased were recorded in the Book of the Dead. Some tombstones were later erected by the families of those who died there. Given that the mental hospital and graveyard were established in the last years of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, it is not only Czechs who are buried here. 48 Italian soldiers who lost their minds in the war were also laid to rest here. They were brought here in 1916 when the hospital in Perugin, Valsugana, Italy, needed to be turned into a military hospital during the First World War. About 500 patients were therefore transported to other institutions in various parts of Austria-Hungary. Over 100 of them ended up in Prague, 48 of whom were later buried in the graveyard. Yuri Vitek, the man who helped to preserve the graveyard and knows all about its history, says much of this is documented. There were even marble plaques with the soldiers' names in the local chapel, paid for by Benito Mussolini, which were placed here in 1932 in the presence of the Italian ambassador. In 2018, a century after the end of the First World War, I was asked to provide the names of the 48 Italians for the Italian government and everything I could find out about them as they were producing a publication about this particular chapter in history. It is believed that individual soldiers from Serbia, Bosnia and Russia also ended up here. Historical sources suggest that inconvenient heirs or rich elderly relatives who had lived for too long, illegitimate children and other persons who, although quite sane, found themselves placed in the asylum and were unable to escape, died and found their final resting place here. At first glance, the southwest corner of the graveyard looks ordinary, but history's savvy tourists shudder as they walk through it, for here lie rapists and murderers. The worst criminals of their time are buried in this part of the cemetery. It is believed that the man who caused World War I, the assassin of Archduke Ferdinand d'Est, Gavrilo Princip, was also buried in these grounds. The Bosnian assassin was just 27 days away from his 20th birthday when he killed Ferdinand d'Est. His youth saved his life because, as a minor under the age of 20, he could not be executed. He was therefore given the highest possible punishment, 20 years in prison, which he started serving in the small fortress in Terezin, where he died of tuberculosis in April of 1918. A grave digger at the Bognita Cemetery later confessed that in May of 1918, a hasty, previously unannounced burial took place there, in the presence of soldiers from the Terezin fortress. Yeti Vitek says he believes the story to be true. On the day of Princip's death, he was the only inmate in the Terezin fortress. That is evident from the records of the fortress. And just hours later, a body was secretly laid to rest here with the participation of soldiers from the Terezin fortress. Why early in the morning? Why in a place where people don't come to? 
They buried him in a place that would not become a memorial, because if you need someone to disappear from sight, you put them where nobody will look for them. The fool's graveyard. The grave was opened after the First World War, and the remains were taken to Sarajevo. Anyone who committed suicide was also laid to rest here. The church refused to give the last rites to people who had killed themselves, and they were therefore placed in graves without coffins, wrapped only in linen. The cemetery was closed to burials after 1963, and most God-fearing souls would not venture near the place even in daylight. However, the abandoned cemetery chapel attracted satanic worshippers at night. Behind the chapel is a morgue and an underground passageway, and it is said that in the 1980s satanic rituals took place here with regular crackdowns by the communist police. In 1984, the Czech-born film director Miloš Forman used the graveyard's somber atmosphere as a backdrop for the scene in which Mozart was laid to rest in a mass grave in the Oscar-winning film Amadeus. Jiří Vítek points out the exact place. The last scene, when the coffin is being driven down an alley, took place right here. There were two men in cloaks standing there, and it's raining hard, and they're throwing Amadeus into a mass grave that was filmed right here. Forman was not the only celebrity to visit the abandoned graveyard. In 1996, the former British Prime Minister Baroness Thatcher paid an unexpected visit to this unlikely place. Local gardeners recalled how two shiny limousines stopped outside the gates, and she stepped out of the car in a smart suit. Yuri Vitek says he was told the story by the locals who helped to locate the grave. So like you said, in 1996, Baroness Thatcher arrived here and she stepped out of her limousine and went into the graveyard. She was there to take home the remains of a long-lost ancestor of her husband, Dennis, who reportedly ended up here as a prisoner of war in World War I. They got the wrong grave twice, and then someone said we had best ask tattooed Pepik at the pub. He was a local petty thief who refused to work under the communist regime. He used to drink with the former graveyard manager and knew from him where everyone was buried. So they found him. He said he'd show them the right grave for a casket of rum. They gave him the rum and he showed them the right grave. They knew they had found the right one by a decoration or a ring or something. So the body was exhumed, and Lady Thatcher had the remains transported to Britain. From what I know, there have been three exhumations here. Two were the bodies of some Russian soldiers, and those were taken by the Russian Federation. This was the third. In 1989, vandals burned down the local chapel. Then the graveyard began to be used as a dump. Until in 2013, Yuri Vitek, then a local fireman, walked by, was intrigued, and decided he had to save the place. I had known this place from childhood because I spent all my life here. It was simply part of my neighborhood. Then one day I passed by the graveyard and I saw the condition that it was in. So I started cleaning it up. Together with friends and volunteers, we removed around 40 tons of rubbish and debris from the cemetery, disposed of the shard beams from the caved-in chapel roof, and started putting things to rights. 
I decided to delve deeper into the history to find out why people were fascinated by this place, and I soon discovered just how much it had witnessed. It is a place that bears testimony to the events that shaped 20th century history and impacted our nation. Today, Jiří Víte continues to tend to the graveyard as deputy mayor. Thanks to his efforts in 2018, the Fool's graveyard was brought under the administration of the Prague 8 municipality. The graveyard is closed for security reasons, but the municipality plans to organise guided tours for the public in the future. Jiří Vítek's goal is to prevent insensitive changes that would bring modern benches and solar-powered lamps to an environment where the sense of history is overwhelming. He wants to save the crumbling chapel and, above all, preserve the genius lotzi of the place. And that was Daniela Lazarová there, ending today's programme for us. If you want more, you can find the entire Radio Prague archive, as well as photos, articles and videos on our website, www.radio.cz. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Once again, I'm Anna Fodor. Thanks for listening and please do take care of yourselves. Drink beer, listen to music, look at art and avoid spooky graveyards. Speak to you again next time.